Um, will you guys stand with me and take out your Bible? Yep, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. Everybody have their Bible out, remember? Yeah. Okay. This is totally fine if it's on your phone. If you don't have one, it'll be up here on the screen. But we are going to go to John 15, 18 for our passage today. This is what it says. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. You may be seated. When I first started preparing for this message and reflecting on this passage, I thought to myself, persecution, hatred, okay. Um, I think if I'm honest, um, we know there's a ton of persecution of Christians amongst the world. Um, if I am honest, I don't think anybody from a country like North Korea or other countries who are uh, imprisoned or even potentially killed just for claiming the name of Jesus would ever have some sort of underground church and read this passage and think, you know what? I'm going to call Julie Jones from Spokane, Washington to talk to me about her experiences with persecution. Um, she grew up in Spokane in a loving family, went to a church where she could express her love of Christ any way she wants. She was teased maybe a couple times in high school. Uh, but beyond that, that's I wouldn't say that I'm persecuted, but this is one of the reasons why I love scripture, because I fully believe that scripture is living and breathing and moving. And just like Kevin talked about last week, the spirit can move in people in different ways. And so somebody who is in a country that is completely persecuted, truthfully persecuted, and that is beautiful, and that is true, and that is right. And then I can read this, and I can get, the spirit can say something different to me, but also just as powerful, and also just as true, and also just as right. So... As I was reading this, I thought, okay, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for us as a new community? And what should we do with this passage? And I think that we as Christians, unfortunately, have used this passage and others like it for far too long to use as an excuse to justify, defend, and make ourselves feel better about non-loving actions. And here's what I mean. When I was in high school, I had a great group of friends um, I was probably one of the only Christians, I don't totally know because we didn't really talk about it a ton um, as far as our faith goes. But as I went to college, I started leading Young Life, which I love, I think it's a fantastic organization. I started surrounding myself with people who are Christians living out their faith and I started to, it challenged me to do the same. And so I started to take my faith more seriously. I eventually went on to Young Life staff and I was reaching out and doing outreach and telling high school students about Jesus. 
in the midst of this, I started to feel pretty guilty and felt like I had dropped the ball with a lot of my friends from high school and missed a lot of opportunities to share with them about how Jesus loves them. And, and so I kind of felt this movement. And I had two people in particular who I was really close with. And I was like, okay, I need to tell them about Christ. And so one of them I had a phone call with and one of them I wrote an email to um, just in that time where email was the main form of communication because we had to use a calling card to call them. Um, but we, I shared this message and um, when I was done, let's just go ahead and say that it did not go quite as I had planned. Um, I claimed that I wanted to share love with them and honestly my intentions were beautiful and they were pure. I can say that 100%. But if I look back on it, if I'm honest, if I were to put myself in their shoes, I think they would have heard something like, or I would have heard something like, Julie, you have a lot of issues. The choices you are making are not good. You need to be saved by someone or something. And if you don't believe what I believe, you're going to hell and going to have an awful life. And I didn't say those exact words, but I have a hunch they felt that. And I have a hunch they felt that because they let me know that that's how they felt at the end of it. <laughs> and they, um, and honestly, their response, one of them in particular said some pretty awful things to me and some very hurtful things to me. And even more than that, neither of them turned towards Jesus. And I was devastated. And they still um, don't know Jesus today. But as sad as I was, and as uh, many tears as I shed, honestly, about that, I still had this kind of confidence and this deep root of, I can justify this. I was just speaking truth. That comment can get us in a lot of trouble. Um, this is part of following Jesus. I must be doing my job. If they hate me and they are mad, I must be doing something right. And honestly, when I think about this, I still have a knot in my stomach because at that point, this barrier was created between me and them that has never actually fully gone away 15 years later. And I love them and they know I love them, but there's just this kind of give and take. And um, I just, as I reflect on this, um, instead of bringing a message of love and beauty and healing and telling them how loved they are by the God of the universe and, and affirming their incredible gifts that God has given them, I gave them words of shame and discouragement and fear. And then I made myself feel better about it by taking this verse and applying it to me in the way that I wanted to hear it. Now, this passage clearly does say that disciples will be hated. Jesus was talking to his disciples. Um, it says that they will be persecuted, and I believe that we are disciples today. Um, I'm not saying that if we do it right, we as Christians will never be hated. What I am saying is new community, let's be hated for the right reasons. Open your Bibles again. So pull out John chapter 15 again. At verse 18, how many of you guys, by show of hands, have a little title above it? Yep, I keep raising your hands, guys. If you're not raising your hand, you're not looking in your Bible right now. I caught you. Um, it says the hatred of the world. And honestly, I wish that they would get rid of these little titles and headings because when this was originally written in the early 90s, and I don't mean 1990, I mean like the early actual 90s, um, these subtitles and these headings were not there. And so it was meant to be read verse to verse. And so if you go back and if you look at 17, you read that and then would flow directly into 18. And this is what 17 says. It says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. So it says, so that you will love one another, and then immediately says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me first. 
So as you are loving people, if the world hates you, remember it hated me first, which got me thinking to the larger story of Jesus. I then, I'm taking you guys through my whole process of prepping for this. You're welcome. So then I started thinking, who were the people who hated Jesus? Who were the people who persecuted him? And we know this pretty consistently. It was the religious leaders of their time, the people who were supposed to get it. They were the ones hating Jesus and persecuting him. And why did they do this? Because Jesus didn't do what they thought the Messiah was supposed to do. But what did Jesus do? He commands us. He does what, just what he commands us to do, to love one another. But Jesus didn't just love people. He radically and excessively loved people. He brought healing and redemption and dignity to those who were not supposed to be loved at that time. Those who were unclean, the people that no one else valued. He could see people beyond, he could see in people what, or beyond what society saw. He could see the image of God in people. And he didn't ask somebody to clean up their life before he welcomed them in or before he healed them. As a matter of fact, he did the opposite. He went and dined with people. He sat with people. He brought people in basically saying, you are in. You belong with me just as you are. You are loved by me. Jesus always loved first, brought people into a circle, into a place of belonging before maybe they even believed. He, was a, he in a sense, was breaking the rules to show and give transformational love. And for this, he was hated. So new community, here is what I want to say to us today. There will be times in our faith that we are hated. But dang it, let's be hated for the right reasons. Can we, as a community of people, be known as a community that loves absolutely excessively and welcomes people in to belong before they may even believe? Can we live radically into the kingdom values? Can we live today and love people in the same way that Jesus did, not worrying about how the culture sees it or even how Christian culture sees it, but love and welcome and interact with and express deep love towards people, whoever they are and wherever they are at? Can we be generous not just with our resources, but with the grace and acceptance that we show to people? And can we be hospitable to the other, can we notice and care for and give dignity? That's a really beautiful word. Can we give dignity to those the rest of the world and even Christians may have written off? And if that ends up being frustrating to other people, so be it. Now, I love our community. I think we actually do lean into this. But I also believe that there is a plenty of room for growth in us. I want you just to take a second and I want you just to look around. Like look behind you, look to the side of you, like actually do that. Good, thank you. That was great. Um, if we're honest, it feels pretty comfortable in here, doesn't it? We're filled with a lot of really great people and I love that, but what if we grew? And I'm not saying, hear me correctly, I am not saying I want to grow and have 300 new people come who have just come from a different church because we have cool worship or Kevin tells funny jokes or something like that. Like, I don't, I don't think that is church growth. What I would love is what if 10 people came? I don't know. I, I don't know numbers. I don't even know how many people go to new communities. I don't know what, what that would be. But what if 10 people came and it was people who have never been to church 
or have been completely burned by the church. Um, maybe people who haven't been to church for years and are just trying to figure out this faith thing. That's when I get excited. One of the things that I love hearing the most and that brings me the most joy as somebody on staff here is when somebody comes to new community and they keep coming and they say that they keep coming because they feel like they can be exactly who they are without feeling shamed and could ask the questions they have about faith without feeling inadequate and we're welcomed into the community just as they are. That is something I get excited about. But what breaks my heart is when people um, come and they say that they've felt shamed by the church or forgotten or not good enough to be here. So I want to propose a little experiment just for one week. Hopefully it'll carry on. But for one week, let's just start there because I think that's doable. You guys with me? You guys willing? You don't even know what it is. Do you trust me? Um, what if we loved this week without any boundaries? What if we excessively loved? What if we tried to really live into more of what the way that Jesus lived? Sounds pretty simple. I think this is one of those messages that's like, okay, pat on the back and you guys go ahead. That's great. Love people. I'm going to give a few tips. Um, these are things that I want you to think about, and I want you to, I have 10 things listed out. I'm not going to go into like 20 minutes on each thing or anything like that. Don't, don't worry. But I wrote out different things because I think we're all in different places with this, and we all need some different things. So take, pick and choose what you want to use from this. But um, I'd love for you guys to talk about how this actually looks in small group this week and what these actually mean, and take this to the next level. These are just starting points. So here's a little, here are 10 tips on how to love people. First and foremost, know that you are deeply and unconditionally loved, that you are. I think we can only love coming from a place of love. Know that Jesus loves you just as you are. You are made in the image of God, and you are made with a goodness and beauty, and nothing you have done or will ever do can separate you from the love of God. Know that and just sit in that. And honestly, some of you need to stop here. You can ignore everything else that I say right now and stop here and learn what it means to really sit in that, that you can't earn it, you can't do anything, that God just loves you just as you are right now. That's number one. Number two, let's stop being the sin police. Again, just one week. Some people are getting a little uncomfortable here, but hear me out thinking, okay, we just throwing everything out the window, Julie, anything's okay, do whatever you want. You and I both know that is not what I am saying. So don't accuse me of that by the end of this. <laughs> but Jesus called out sin. Yes, he did. Um, and guess what? Jesus will continue to do that. But last week, Kevin talked about how the spirit has come to convict. So let's trust the spirit for that. And if you really, really, really need to call out sin, take a moment and step back and examine your own life and ask somebody to call out the sin in your own life and use that as your point of calling out sin. Don't worry about calling out other people's sins right now. Just for this week, let's fully love. Because I think following Jesus has too often been reduced down to sin management. And someone once said, I couldn't find who actually wrote this. They said something like this. I would quote them if I could, but I don't even find, know the exact quote. But they said something like, um, shame and fear can control behavior, but love transforms us. I want to live and give transformation, not control people's behaviors. So let's show love this week. Number three, love people here and now. 
Start by loving the people who are right in front of you. You don't have to search very far to find people to show love to. Ask God to bring people into your life each day that need to experience the transformational love of God. And then when they're in front of you, do it. Number four, trust the spirit. This goes back along with point two. So like Kevin said, um, the spirit's job is to convict and our job is to love. Trust the spirit will do this. And trust that the same spirit who works in you will work in other people. Also, Jesus in this refers to the spirit being the helper. So ask Jesus to help you do this. There are people that are really hard to love. I'm going to be honest. There are people in my own life that it is hard. It's hard to show grace to them, and it's hard to show acceptance, and it's hard to show love. But uh, ask the spirit to help, and then trust the spirit. Um, And along with that, this again, back to point two, a very wise woman once told me, and we talked about this in our group this week, that if someone is kind of living unhealthily or anything, um, pray about it, and then wait and watch. And trust that the Spirit will move in you. And if you need to say something to that person, the Spirit will move in you. And the Spirit will do it. This is not something that we need to force. Uh, Number five, love people without conditions or an agenda. I think a lot of times we will go into relationships and think, okay, I'm going to do this. Like even this week, we'll be like, okay, I'm going to love people. And then you're going to know Jesus. And then by the end of it, this is, this is it. People know when you are manipulating a situation. People know when you are trying to get something out of it. Or people know when you are the mean, that they are the means to an end. Just be. Just look at who's in front of you and let them be loved by you and just for who they are, not for what you want to get out of it or what you want to do or what you want to tell them. Just love without an agenda. Number six, don't be the haters. I know, right? (laughs) Um, One of the sad things about this passage that we went over is that the people who are supposed to be the ones supporting Jesus are the ones persecuting him. And as I was reflecting on this, I realized that if I'm totally honest, the people that I've been hurt by the most for matters of faith have not been the majority of my friends who are non-Christians. It's actually been people who are following Jesus as well, who have hurt me the most and and I've seen bring the most pain to other Christians. And this can be simply because somebody holds a different opinion on a theological issue that is different than theirs, or that somebody else, or that somebody's living into convictions that are different than yours. For instance, uh, me simply being a woman and being a pastor is something that has ruffled some people's feathers along the way, to say the least. Um, I've seen a lot of women be really deeply hurt in that situation, which is unfortunate. that pain and the hatred and the attacks from other people that are following Christ is brutal. So my point is, let that not be us. Let us be the ones providing love. Let us not be the ones expressing hate towards people. Number seven, and this is kind of the whole point of this one. Let's, if you are hated, be hated for the right reasons. And I wanted to call this one, don't be a jerk, but I didn't know if that was like too forward. Um, so yeah, don't be a jerk <laughs> and then claim that you are, you are hated for standing for truth. Jesus was hated, but he was not hated because he stood and yelled and demeaned people, but because he radically and excessively loved people. Love like Jesus did. Be hated because you loved and welcomed the underdog, the marginalized, and the ones that others say that you shouldn't love. Number eight, we have this on our women's retreat. Um, in the words of Miss, Miss Frizzle from the Magic School Bus, Take chances, make mistakes, and get messy. 
get uncomfortable, get out of your comfort zone. Some sitting here right now are probably thinking, you know what, I don't even have the chance to be hated because I live such a quiet and personal faith that nobody even knows that I'm a citizen of the kingdom. If that is you, take a chance. Get out of your bubble. Get out of your thing. Some other people um, maybe are sitting here and thinking, you know what, there is, there is someone or a group of people who are on my heart that I have felt like I need to reach out to or I need to move or that I need to welcome in. But I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. I don't even know what this means. Here's what I'll say. Get in proximity of them. Go and be with that person and you'll know how to do it. Talk about it. If there is an issue, if there is a group of people that you've seen who are oppressed, ask people. Talk to your small group about how, what does this really look like? How do I really do this and how do I do this well? But take a chance. And you're going to mess up and that's okay. But mess up in love. Mess up by being risky. Get messy. Number nine, look for the image of God in others. And this is a big one. If you don't hear anything else I say, highlight this one, keep this one, underline this one. We are all made in God's image. Every single person here, every person on the face of this earth. What if when we looked at someone this week, instead of seeing their flaws, looked for the image of God in them? and then call it out, affirm it. Whether someone follows Jesus or not does not change the fact that they are made in the image of God and does not change the fact that God has given them gifts and goodness and beauty. Tell them what that is, bring it to the light, bring life to people, speak life to people. Every person, no matter where they're at in life or what they're doing, deserve to know that they are deeply and unconditionally loved by the God of the universe. And they deserve to hear about the goodness that people see in them that is from the Lord. What an honor it is that we get to be people to deliver that. So look for the image of God in others and call it out. And number 10, break the rules to love generously. I remember um, Russ saying a long time ago that on a parenting talk that he would love it if his kids broke the rules for the right reasons. And I think this is one of the things um, Jesus touched the lepers, you weren't supposed to do that. He healed on the Sabbath, you weren't supposed to do that. He turned public judgment back on those who are doing the judging instead of onto the woman caught in the act of adultery. He was found talking to a woman at the well whom he shouldn't have been talking to. He hung out with prosti prostitutes, he ate with the sinners. He broke all the rules to show his love. Let's do the same. Um, there's a quote by Brennan Manning that I found that I love, and it says this. The gospel is absurd, and the life of Jesus is meaningless unless we believe that he lived, died, and rose again, but with one purpose in mind, to make brand new creations. Not to make people with better morals, but to create a community of prophets and professional lovers, men and women who would surrender to the mystery of the fire of the spirit that burns within, who would live in ever greater fidelity to the omnipresent word of God, who would enter into the center of it all the very heart and mystery of Christ, to the center of the flame that consumes, purifies, and sets everything aglow with peace, joy, boldness, and extravagant, furious love. This, my friend, is what it really means to be a Christian. And I love that last line, extravagant, furious love. That is what we are to do. If I could go back in time, um, to my situation with my friends, I would handle it absolutely differently today, and I could admit that. I would lavish my friends with love, 
and call it the goodness in them and stop worrying about their behaviors and worry more about their heart and breathe life into them. And if I shared that with other people at the time, they may have given me a hard time because they would say, oh, you're just being too soft. You're not calling out their sin. But what I have learned over time, like that quote earlier, is that it's love that transforms us. So let us be a community that lives into Christ's transformational love and shares it with others. As the band comes back up right now, we are going to enter into a time of communion. And I just want to welcome all, all who are seeking the love of Christ are welcome to the table. Approach the bread and wine knowing that you are deeply and unconditionally loved. And in this time, maybe spend a little time with the Lord asking who in your life needs his love.